0: The David Pakman Show at DavidPacman.com. dot com. I spent some time yesterday talking about how the um, reflexive reaction from the Republicans in charge of the state of Texas to the power outages that are happening tragically. In the wake of a storm and cold weather were blamed on anything on the left that Republicans could come up with. We talked about them blaming the Green New Deal, which, of course, hasn't happened. We talked about them blaming wind turbines, which, of course, represent just a small fraction of the energy generation in Texas. And the truth is, as Philip Bump writes in The Washington Post in a really good article that I encourage you to check out, Uh, It has been extraordinarily misleading what Republicans have done when it comes to pointing fingers and and placing blame in the state of Texas for what is going on. Uh, Of course, anybody talking about the Green New Deal is ignoring or misleading in the sense that none of what Texas decided to do with their power grid has anything to do with the Green Green New Deal, other than the fact that they've done a little bit of wind power, okay, uh, and a little bit of solar power. But the reality is that that represents a very small percentage of Texas's uh, power generation. And the truth about what's going on in Texas is a combination of Republicans who have opted in order to avoid what they call federal regulation of their energy markets, have their own uh, power grid, whereas just about I mean, I I don't want to go hyperbolic, but almost every other part of the world has a broader, more interconnected power grid than just one state the way Texas has. That puts Texas at significant risk in exactly situations like this. But it's not just that. It's also that they had a decade to deal with exactly the issue they're having now. As we talked about yesterday, Texas had a similar power outage situation in 2011. A report was done. Tons of money was spent on figuring out what happened and how do you prevent it from happening again? And they figured out how to prevent it from happening again. And it includes the winterization of wind turbines, but more importantly, of instruments at natural gas, coal and nuclear power plants, which are the majority of Texas energy. And they didn't do it. They they opted not to do that. Other states that have wind power and other types of cap power. And it gets cold places like Montana and Wyoming and others. They've done the winterization. So when it gets cold, the wind turbines work. Everything works fine. OK, so this is an example of a Republican stronghold blaming a problem they in some cases it's caused, in some cases it's failed to deal with on Democrats or the left or progressivism or climate science or whatever the case may be. Uh, And this is a trend. This is something that they have been doing on the right for a very long time. The right does tax cuts and the tax cuts, rather than helping the economy, uh, don't help the economy because they give the tax cuts to the rich and trickle down doesn't actually work. And somehow they blame Democrats. They'll do tax cuts for the rich and say, this is going to be great. It's not. And then they say, oh, well, the problem is Democratic social programs. The tax cuts for the rich would have worked, were it not for the Democratic social programs, the housing disaster in 2008, which, of course, was the result of under regulation of mortgages and uh, of derivatives from mortgages, including the packaging up of mortgages and selling them at you, we, we've talked about that. Really it's a problem of under regulation for a very long time, uh, uh, primarily under George W. Bush or, or most acutely under George W. Bush. They said it's a cop, you know, take your pick. The list of things they blamed is very, very long, but some combination of uh, Democratic policy in cities that uh, created a problem with housing prices. No, the problem was under regulation led by Republicans dating back to the sort of ideology of Reagan in the 1980s, the deregulation of the energy industry more broadly. That's part of what we're seeing in Texas, but but not only that has not been good for states that have adopted it as states have deregulated energy under the idea of we want to give people choice and we want more competition and players in the market. Everything from scams to exploding prices have taken place. And by the way, uh, not with any increased reliability when it comes to energy, Uh, but they blame it on the left. Um, Kansas, a very much uh, cautionary tale. Republicans, including the the governor there, Sam Brownback, bankrupting Kansas, going all in on trickle down economics and tax cuts for the rich and whatever else, um, completely bankrupting Kansas, failing to grow the business base and the revenue base and blaming Democrats incoherently. They are now blaming covid deaths and the fact that although covid deaths are I mean, listen to the numbers, covid deaths are down 37 percent from their peak a month ago. They are blaming covid deaths, which they didn't even seem to care about when Donald Trump was president, 40 percent of which were avoidable on Joe Biden already, despite Donald Trump failing to control it for nearly a full year. Many of these stories in some way are about either deregulation or when it comes to covid, not enough federal government involvement, but they continue to create these disasters, blame it on Democrats, even though they are the ones in power, and also blame it on the ideology that is the opposite of what they want, when really they should be looking at their policies of getting government, quote, out of people's lives, deregulation and so on. If they're so. So the 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 pattern is if they're in power and there's a disaster, they blame it on Democrats because Democrats somehow prevented them from doing what they really wanted to do or did something that played as a counterweight to what they did. If Republicans aren't in power, they'll just say Democrats are in power, so it's their fault, even if their obstructionism is actually what caused the problem. Sort of like spoiled children, no accountability, no integrity, no personal responsibility. They take credit for everything and responsibility for nothing, much like Donald Trump. I mean, it's Donald Trump took that idea that we've seen Republicans put into place over the last forty five, forty years and just exploded it to the one hundred and tenth percentile. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem like things are super quickly going to get any better in Texas. I want to talk about that next. Texas Republicans seem to have a thing about volunteering other people to do things that maybe they don't want to do. Remember, back in the earlier phases of the virus in Texas, when Texas Republican Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick went on TV and said, listen, grandma would sacrifice herself to save the economy, by which he really meant the stock market. And then we said, well, grandma isn't Dan Patrick's to sacrifice. Now, former Texas Republican governor and former Trump secretary of energy Rick Perry is saying Texans are willing to continue going without power so that the federal government doesn't get involved in their energy market. It's not his role to decide who wants to go without power. In a blog that was posted on House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy's website, Rick Perry wrote, quote, Texans would be without electricity for longer than three days to keep the federal government out of their business. How does he know that? Try not to let whatever the crisis of the day is take your eye off of having a resilient grid that keeps America safe personally economically and strategically. Personal responsibility. Right. Rick Perry can say what he wants, what he's willing to do. But who is he to say how many days other Texans are willing to go without power or heat or water for political reasons? What he is saying here is some of you may die to keep our power unregulated by the federal government, but that's a sacrifice I am volunteering you to make. What? for people who maybe aren't up to speed on this issue, understandably, Texas has a power power grid that's run by uh, I believe the, the acronym is ERCOT ERCOT. And it's the only power grid in the in the United States that doesn't cross state lines. And as a result of that, it's not under the oversight of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Rick Perry likes that. A lot of Texas Republican elected officials like that. Um, And what Rick Perry is saying here is because he wants to keep that going. It's the equivalent of saying, listen, Americans are willing to have an extra uh, $50,000 extra 50,000 people die of covid so that we don't get controlled by the W.H.O. or something like that. That's essentially the equivalent of what Rick Perry is saying. Now, first of all, I doubt it from everybody I'm talking to in Texas, nobody even libertarians and other people. Nobody seems okay with what's going on so that they can maintain their independence from any other grids and federal oversight. Secondly, it's not Rick Perry's call to make if there is a power outage. Others are willing to die for Rick Perry's separatist views. No, that that's that. That just can't be. And one other thing on this, I've said, Despite the hypocrisy of Texas Republicans like Ted Cruz demanding federal relief money for Texas now, but was against federal relief money when it was needed in New York and New Jersey for Hurricane Sandy, despite him being a disgusting hypocrite, I don't want Texans to go without federal aid. I still want the people of Texas to get the relief money because they need it. I don't want to hold it back from them because Ted Cruz is a hypocrite. But there is a real question here about If Texas refuses to become part of a bigger, broader interstate resilient power grid, should they continue to be bailed out by the feds? There are options for preventing this by being part of a multi-state power grid and they refuse, but then they still want the money when it fails. Again, I don't want to deny the people of Texas anything, but shouldn't someone make it clear to Texas, you've got to join us if you want us to bail you out. You have to join the power grid because otherwise you're bringing this problem on yourselves. They had power outages in 2011 for similar reasons. They got a report telling them how to prevent this from happening again. They didn't do anything that the report said. And now they immediately and defiantly say, give us the cash. There has to be some limit at some point, And somebody needs to sit Ted Cruz down and talk about it, except Ted Cruz flew to Cancun in the middle of all of this. I want to talk about that next uh, Senator Ted Cruz, Republican of Texas, millions of whose constituents. Are without power, without hot water, uh, having trouble getting food. He demanded federal money for Texas after voting against federal money for New York and New Jersey during Hurricane Sandy. And then he flew to Cancun with his family in the middle of what's going on. Our friend David Schuster tweeted uh, a picture of Ted Cruz on an airplane with his family. And the uh, caption just confirmed Senator Ted Cruz and his family flew to Cancun tonight for a few days at a resort they visited before. Cruz seems to believe there isn't much for him to do in Texas for the millions of fellow Texans who remain without electricity, water and are literally freezing. That was early this morning. Um, this is uh, that I mean, I hate to say it, but this is this is more more of the same. This is the prototypical Republican. No money for New York and New Jersey because it's pork. And it's money we don't have. Oh, Texas is in trouble? Yes, give us the money. I'll be in Cancun with my family on the beach, though. Meanwhile, just for comparison, Beto O'Rourke was phone banking to elderly Texans to see how they were doing. Okay? Ted Cruz votes against money for New York and New Jersey when it's not his constituents says, give me the money, even though he was part of resisting integrating the electric the uh, electrical grid in Texas into other grids, says, give us the money now because it's my constituents. But I'm going to go on vacation anyway. There is a difference here. Okay, we talk about Republicans and Democrats very similar on too many issues, not much breathing room between them. But there is a difference here. And this is a moral difference. This is an ethical difference. This is also an ideological difference. About uh, what it means to be an elected official when your constituents are in crisis. And uh, Ted Cruz, no surprise, continues to be exactly the disgusting guy that we know him to be. We'll take a quick break. Find me on Twitter at D. Pacman. We'll be back after this. The David Pacman Show at DavidPacman.com. The more we learn about various diets around the world, the more we realize that uh, some of the healthiest diets where folks are living the healthiest and the longest are heavily plant based. And one of our sponsors, Just Egg, is a great place to start. Just Egg cooks and tastes just like real eggs, but it's made from plants. It has less saturated fat, no cholesterol packed with protein. I've been cooking with Just Egg at home. And you can use it in so many different ways, just like traditional eggs, omelets, scrambled eggs, French toast, banana bread. One of my favorite dishes, Pad Thai. It also is better for the planet, generating 93 percent fewer carbon emissions and 98 percent less water than conventional eggs. You can find just egg at lots of grocery stores, Whole Foods, Kroger. Amazon Prime Now and Instacart. Check it out. Just Egg really is a great product from a company with a great mission. And I'm really glad that they're a sponsor of the show one of our sponsors is Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer owned company shipping super quality CBD directly from their farm to your door. They cut out the middleman, which saves you money and gets you the freshest possible product, which includes tinctures, flour, gummies, skin topicals, even CBD coffee, which I've really enjoyed. The whole team loves Sunset Lake CBD, especially their CBD oil and the gummies. We always say send us more. Every time we run out, CBD is reported as being useful for relieving stress, pain, inflammation. Some people use it before bed to help with sleep. And Sunset Lake is where you want to get your CBD because they pay employees a living wage, their farm is sustainable, and of course, because they support progressive shows like ours. They're giving David Pacman show listeners 20% off when you go to davidpacman.com/slash CBD and use the coupon code Pacman. That's coupon code PAKMAN. You can find the URL in the podcast notes. The David Packman show at davidpackman.com. The David Pakman show doesn't have a money tree on which cash grows. We actually do depend on the support of folks like you. Who get memberships at joinpacman.com? So consider doing that today. You'll get access to the daily bonus show, an extra show for our members, as well as commercial free audio and video streams of the show. Exciting stuff. Sign up at joinpacman.com. Also, I invite you to join the discussion on the David Pacman Show subreddit. Nearly 30,000, if you can imagine, nearly 30,000 of our viewers and listeners are now subscribed to the David Pacman Show subreddit. You can find it at davidpackman.com slash reddit. A few interesting posts I spotted this morning. One asks, why do Trumpists need to believe that Antifa was behind the January 6th insurrection? Hear me out, says this user. Let's imagine the insane world that the Trumpists live in is reality. The election was stolen from Trump, and there was rampant fraud in favor of Joe Biden. It was rigged at every level, and Joe Biden is a little illegitimate president. If this is the case, then don't Trump supporters have the moral obligation to take back their country and reinstall Trump as president since he was rightly elected? After all, the Declaration of Independence says the people have a right to alter or abolish an illegitimate government. Going on to say, my point is this under the premise that the election was truly stolen, then they shouldn't need to blame Antifa for the riots since the people at the Capitol should have gone even farther in their actions to prevent Biden from becoming president. In other words, none of the Trumpist Republicans should be condemning the insurrectionists or blaming Antifa. They should be embracing their actions of the the actions of the insurrectionists instead. This is a very important point. And this is something that we've been talking about for a long time, which is very often these radical conspiratorial hypotheses from the right conflict. And this is this is the epitome of that. On the one hand, you have people who for two months following the lead of Trump and Rudy Giuliani and all these other people believed the election was really stolen. Joe Biden didn't really win. Donald Trump actually won. If that actually is true, then, of course, they would go to the Capitol on January 6th. And again, they went because they did believe that that was true. So then why would they be blaming Antifa? They really would be there. As people demanding that the rightful winner of the presidential election be installed, it would be Trumpists that would go. You wouldn't need to point the finger at Antifa. Are we meant to believe now that they really believe the election was stolen and they were willing to do whatever it took? Just like Donald Trump said, you've got to fight for it, just like Rudy said, trial by fight, combat or whatever it was. But then they didn't actually go on January 6th. They stayed home, even though they were ready and willing to fight for their president. Now, it's incoherent. And this is very accurately pointing it out. Another interesting post from the subreddit argues that good Republicans don't exist. Um, this user says there is no rot within the Republican Party. The Republican Party is the rot right down to its moldy core. Everything Republicans stand for is wrong. Politically, they stand for tax cuts for the rich, deunionization, sucking off the military industrial complex, trickle down economics and brown people are bad. Ideologically, they stand for LGBTQ is bad. Women's rights is bad. More votes bad. Brown people bad. Again, living wages are socialism, affordable health care is socialism, fighting climate change is socialism, on and on. And they go on to say, tell me honestly, what actual honest to. Bat Christ good comes from the continued existence of the Republican Party? What's a single genuinely good thing they do for the American people and not just the one percent, the wealthiest one percent of their base? And um, to to a great degree, this is true. And uh, what I mean by that is there are people who I disagree with politically, uh, but who I don't think are out of their mind, bad people necessarily in the Republican Party, moderate Republicans whose priorities are uh, they are socially. I don't want to say socially liberal, but socially libertarian, let's say, um, and really genuinely believe that, you know, regulations, not socialism but uh, that the country is better off with less regulation and lower taxes and whatever. Okay, I mean, these these are political disagreements as old as uh, as old as as government itself. Uh, But to a great degree, this is accurate, where you have essentially the worst instincts of just bad people coalesced around um, really horrible leaders. Donald Trump being the the sort of greatest example of that. And they make a lot of good points, as I think the point I would make. Join the discussion at David slash Reddit. All right, uh, I want to warn everybody there is some Trump content on today's program. Donald Trump, after being essentially out of the public eye for the last two months of his presidency and since leaving the White House, did a bunch of interviews yesterday. Uh, in a sense, he did four, if you include his bizarre call-in, to eulogize Rush Limbaugh on Fox News, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, He did another another late night interview on Fox News with Sean Hannity, which we'll cover tomorrow. He did an interview with OAN, which I won't cover at all. But he did a Newsmax interview, which is where I want to start today. And the big picture of this interview is that Donald Trump has learned absolutely nothing from being president. He has learned nothing from losing in November. He has just decided to continue making his false claims that he won the election, that Joe Biden stole it. Now, let's see if we can learn anything from this interview. Let's jump right in. The topic of Rush Limbaugh's death came up. Donald Trump took it as an opportunity to tell the big lie once again that he won the election and that Rush Limbaugh believed it as well.
1: You know, just got he just got a bad, a bad deal with what he what he had was something that was not going to be beaten. It was not going to be beaten. And he understood that. But he wanted to get past the election and he made it easily. And he thought we won the election. We did win the election. As far as I'm concerned, it was disgraceful what happened. Totally disgraceful. But Rush wanted to get uh, by the election and he did it.
0: And uh, he was proud of that. The casual nature with 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 which Donald Trump still says after causing the riot that he won confirms he learned absolutely nothing. And then Donald Trump, just like he used to, bragging about fake polls in which he is supposedly now beloved. He was asking the big question. Uh, He was asked the big question about running in twenty twenty four. He didn't commit, but he had many other things to say. See if you can make sense out of any of them.
1: We have tremendous support. I won't say yet, but we have tremendous support and I'm looking at poll numbers that are through the roof. You saw what happened yesterday. We went up. We get I'm the only guy gets impeached and my numbers go up. I may figure that one out. Let's say somebody gets impeached. Typically, your numbers would go down. They would go down like uh, like a dead balloon. But uh, the numbers are very good. They're very high. I think they're higher than they were before the election, and they were high at the election. And they like the job. Look, we did a great job. We we built, rebuilt our military. Think of it. We lowered taxes, got rid of regulations. How about space force? Just space force alone would be a big achievement. First time in 74 years a new branch of the U.S. military. So, you know, all of the things we've done,
0: what on earth is Donald Trump talking about? His numbers are good and high. He lost the election by a record number of votes. And while, yes, the majority of the Republican electorate still is behind Trump, even those numbers have tapered off a little bit. Also, it's not like there are that many examples of approval ratings during impeachments. He says, oh, typically approval ratings are down during impeachment. Mine were up. Bill Clinton did fine in approval while being impeached. Before that, it was before the polling era. So on the basic facts, as usual, Donald Trump is just wrong or clueless. This same type of verbal Rorschach tests that we've become accustomed to during Trump's presidency um, were continuing as we are left to try to kind of unravel and decipher what Trump is talking about. Listen to this and the border. We built the wall.
1: Mexico was all getting ready to pay for the wall. We were going to charge him at the border, small fee, and uh, Mexico would have paid for the wall. They were all set. They gave us 28,000 troops to police it before it got built, and now you see what's happening. Um, the president of Mexico is a great gentleman, by the way, but he put 28,000 troops on our border at my request, and we didn't pay for that, and he, uh, we kept, we kept the border beautiful and Now you take a look at what's going on at the border. It's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. Hundreds of thousands of people are going to be pouring in.
0: Mexico was never going to pay for the wall. That lie won't die. Trump now wants us to believe that he was just seconds away from putting in place some kind of a border tax. On people coming in from Mexico to indirectly pay for the wall. He was never going to do it. He's been talking about it for years. It didn't matter if he got a second term or not. He just won't stop telling that lie. But it's simply a lie and just all over the place. And if you were watching there, you might have seen when the camera cut back to the host, Greg Kelly on Newsmax, he looks sort of exasperated and looking around and thinking of how he might be able to get control back of the interview, something that's pretty tough to do. Donald Trump then asked about being suspended from Twitter. And this got really weird. Trump sort of listed the number of followers he believed he had on, on various networks and claims that Twitter very is very boring now without him.
1: I mean, just the opposite. They really wanted me on Parler and, uh, you know, I had 89 million, but that was because they held it back. And then on top of that, I had 36 million or 39 million on POTUS. And we had other sites where we had millions and millions of people. So we have, I guess, about as big as it gets. And likewise on uh, on Facebook. And they all want that. And part of the problem is mechanically they can't handle it because it's too many people. It's bigger than they are by many times. And they want to... Uh, and and I'll tell you, it's not the same. If you look at what's going on with, uh, if you look at what's going on with Twitter, I understand it's become very boring, and <laughs> millions of people are leaving. They're leaving it because it's not the same, and I can understand that. And uh, so we'll see what happens. We're we're negotiating with a number of people, and uh, there's also the other option of building your own. I mean, you can literally build your own set, but we were being
0: really harassed on twitter did you notice that he said there that part of the problem is that his following is too big i guess for facebook to handle on a technical level that it's just a, such a ridiculous thing to say mechanically they can't handle it like what what is he talking about and it doesn't matter how obviously untrue these things are Donald Trump has a unique ability to tell laughable, obvious, provable lies as if there is nothing to it, just so casually telling them. And that was the Newsmax interview. Greg Kelly visibly struggling to get control of it. Tomorrow, we're going to look at the Hannity interview, which is a whole other level to look at. I want I don't even have time today to devote to it. I'm going to save it for tomorrow, but we'll take a break. Later, we will talk about Rush Limbaugh. And I have I have quite a few things uh, I, I want to go over with Rush Limbaugh. And we'll have some clips of Trump calling into Fox during the daytime to eulogize Rush in a way that is completely self-serving and narcissistic. What else would you expect? Uh, so Trump out of the bunker back on media. We'll have more coverage of it on the Instagram page. Follow us on Instagram at David Pakman show. And you can follow me on Instagram at David the David Pacman Show at DavidPacman.com. One of our sponsors today is Lucy, and they are giving my audience 20% off. Lucy is a company founded by Caltech scientists with only one mission, which is to help people quit smoking and vaping by offering a clean, affordable nicotine alternative. Now, many of you know, you've heard the stories. I've known several people in my life who have struggled with quitting smoking. I've seen how difficult it can be. And nicotine alternatives can be hugely helpful. Lucy offers a nicotine gum in three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon and pomegranate. They also have lozenges which come in cherry ice flavor. Lucy is affordable. It'll ship right to your door. You don't have to go out to the store. Shipping is always free. You can buy single boxes or save with a subscription. It's time to throw the cigarettes away and get rid of the vape. And Lucy can make it easier. You'll find a ton of excellent reviews online from countless people who have used Lucy to quit smoking and vaping go check them out at Lucy.co. That's L-U-C-Y.co. The URL is in the podcast notes and you will get 20% off when you use the coupon code Pacman. Quick disclaimer, I'm required to give these products contain nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. If you ever feel like you just don't have enough time to read all the books you want to read, you have to check out one of my favorite apps called Blinkist. Blinkist takes thousands of popular nonfiction books and distills each one down into an ebook or audiobook that you can get through in just 15 minutes where you're getting all the key takeaways from the book. Just imagine how you'll be able to expand your horizons and knowledge by being able to soak up all of the important insights from 10 different books in an afternoon. Obviously, it's perfect for exposing yourself to a new book you otherwise wouldn't have time for. Or you can use it to revisit a book you've already read or use it to preview a book before you buy the full version and read it. I recently read A Brief History of Time, of course, by the great Stephen Hawking. This is a book that I have been aware of for so long and other things got in the way. And it was fantastic to check it out on Blinkist Blinkist has books on politics, philosophy, science. They have 27 different nonfiction categories and a subscription is only about eight bucks a month and you get access to the entire library, but you can try it totally free and get 25% off a subscription when you go to blinkist.com slash Pacman. That's B L I N K I S T dot com slash Pacman. Welcome back to The David Pacman Show. Because of everything that's been going on in Texas this week, this tragic mismanagement combined with denial of climate science and so many other things that have led to millions of people in Texas ending up without power. Uh, people in Austin being told to boil water, which many of them can't do because they don't have power and they're relying on either an electric microwave or an electric oven and stove that they would need to boil the water that needs to be boiled because power is out at the water treatment plant. So this chaos goes back a long time. We know this because in 2011, similar uh, power outages happened in Texas. A report was issued explaining what Texas needs to do in order to protect themselves in situations like this. And they didn't do it. But I want to go back to an interview I did a few years ago with uh, Gretchen Bakke uh, about exactly the relationship between the electrical grid, a green alternative, renewable energy, the conflicts that exist because of business interests and politics and so many other things. So could not be a more relevant time to revisit this interview with Gretchen. Let's get right into it. I'm joined today by Gretchen Bakke, who is author of The Grid, the fraying wires between Americans and our energy future. Gretchen, it's so great to talk to you. You know, we talk so much about the move towards alternative and renewable sources of energy. We talk about the political implications and and the sort of economic implications. But one thing that's often missing from that conversation is sort of the reality of the electrical grid that we're working with and some of the limitations that exist and will sort of have to be dealt with if we really want to move away from fossil fuels, which I believe that we should be uh, trying to do. Let's start as broadly as as you want to. I mean, what are some of the limitations that need to be considered?
2: Well, I think the main thing that people don't quite grasp when there's when 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 thinking about the energy transition is that electricity can't really be stored right now and what that means is that as it's made it's used it's this very instantaneous um, product so as it's made it's used uh, and that means that if we make it with something like coal um, it's a very steady production and if we make it with something like wind it's a very unsteady production um, because the amount of electricity changes as the as the rate of the wind blowing changes Um, and so that's called variable generation and it's the more of it that we put into our grid um, we tend to think of it as renewables but not all renewables are variable Um, and the more we put of it we put into the grid the um, the harder it is to manage this sort of perfect balancing of how much electricity we use in any instant and how much electricity we produce um, in that same instant uh, because electricity is essentially instantaneous, so um, almost never more than a minute between when it's made and when it's used
0: and this is particularly relevant for people who already have or are thinking of of moving to solar power in their home uh, unless you actually have. A means of storing electricity, right? Unless you have an actual battery setup, any excess electricity that is harvested by your home solar system is not stored for your future use, but rather goes back into the grid. And as you mentioned, is almost instant- instantaneously used by someone else. I mean, is that generally the way that it works?
2: Yeah, and I think that's one of the things um, that I was really confused about for a long time was why people could have diesel generators um, and seemed to be like when there was a blackout, they would be able to um, power things in their house. But if you have solar panels, you can't. Um, and like many people, I thought that was something that the utilities were kind of somehow scheming to make it that you, so you couldn't go off the grid completely. But actually, diesel generators have all these very heavy pieces inside of them. And so when you turn on a light switch, there's a kind of inertial force inside the generator that allows it to balance your house. So the the power you have on or turning on or turning off in any moment, it has to be balanced by the amount of electricity that generator is producing. So again, the fossil fuel and then this heavy piece of equipment enable you to run your house even without storage. Whereas solar panels, um, obviously you're not gonna have any, any power at night. Um, but even so, you turn on your light there's no way for a solar, for a solar panel to adjust to that without some kind of storage. So you turn on a light, you're asking for more electricity from that system, but that system is just producing electricity based on how much sun is hitting it at that moment, um, and you know we don't use. We don't even think in terms of, like, okay, it's midday and it's really sunny, so I'm going to run everything right now, right? Our fridge turns on, our freezer turns on, it goes off. We turn on the lights, we turn them off. Um, And all of that has to be balanced in some way by something. Um, And right now that something is the grid. Um, And people like the grid. It's not – there's not a – there's not really a strong movement, I think, against uh, the grid, but there is this sense of like, why can't I be energy independent? And the reason for that is, when you turn on a light and you have solar panels, that extra electricity needs to come from somewhere, so it comes through the grid. Um, and if the grid is down, then it doesn't—it doesn't come from anywhere.
0: And as part e- of the e- path forward on this, I mean, Elon Musk uh, from Tesla has talked about the home battery systems that they're working on that within a few years, he says, will be relatively affordable. I mean, is is that the type of solution that you see as the most likely to this problem?
2: I think it's very hard to see the future because I think that people really like the idea of being part of um, a larger electricity system. It's It was very rare in my research that I found people that wanted to wanted some kind of energy, um, wanted to be isolated all the time. They're mm. happy to produce for the grid. Um, solar panels in particular are like very happy to produce for the grid during the daytime, to, to draw from the grid at nighttime. So I think that that, there is a possibility, certainly with those home battery storage systems, that you could be energy independent all the time, so you wouldn't need the grid at all. Um, But I think what's more likely is that people will start to use those so that they have power when the power is out on the larger system. Interesting. Um, and, And that was a lot of what was happening when I was doing my research, is that a lot of the frustration I found with the electricity system, part of it was this feeling of like, we want more renewables, um, which, is, which is very hard to manage. And I think there's a lot of work going in that direction by people who do manage the grid right now, um, but not fast enough. Right? There's, uh, there's a lot of anger with the utilities in particular for not making that transition quickly enough. Um, but the other big frustration was, my power's out all the time. I have solar panels. Why can't I just have my power be on? Like, why do I have to also have a diesel backup generator? Um, so, this movement from from producing power independently, but also um, trying to be green at home and wanting the larger electricity system to be green as well.
0: So, if we step aside a little bit from the storage aspect of it, I'd love to talk a little bit about some of the other ways in which the grid is is relatively susceptible to outside forces. I mean, we we have mostly in this country. Elevated power lines, where anything from weather to a squirrel can cause pretty significant interruptions. Is that one of the biggest sort of liabilities in the American electrical grid right now?
2: Um, you mean the, the, um, the power lines being above ground? Yeah. Certainly, certainly, it is uh, it is in part because the greatest threat to the grid right now is growing trees. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> if they were underground, that would be less of a problem. It's really hard to cut back all of the foliage that is just up and coming over this huge nation, right? It's always just going up and up and up and sort of grabbing at power lines. Um, so yes, it's not always the answer to bury, though. If you have someplace like Florida with a high, um, a sort of a high tidal... Um, I don't know. I think the word is scale, but the water comes up very high tidally, um, or when when it's very wet. You don't want to bury um, you don't want to bury lines, and you don't even want um, critical infrastructure at ground level. You want to start putting stuff up. You want to put your substations on hills. Um, so for some places, it's quite a, it's quite a good idea to bury lines. Um, in other places, it's a less good idea. The grid is weirdly local, so we have three of them in the U.S., and they're each gigantic. They're these huge machines. There's sort of one for the West, one for the East, and one for Texas. Um, But nevertheless, it's also extremely local in how it's designed, how different states have been keeping it up, the kinds of laws. There are laws that are federal, but there are many laws that are very... Particular to states or even to counties or to municipalities. Um, so, taking into account the weather in particular places matters for answering that question. Um, but it's also extremely expensive to bury lines. Yeah. So and that also gets towards what's
0: board. sort of underlying this, which is uh, I, I don't know if I would call it a jurisdictional issue, but certainly one of ownership, which is that there's not like a single entity that owns or controls or maintains the grid, right? I mean, as, as you're sort of right. talking about, you're talking about. Municipalities and a lot of smaller entities that are part of this grid,
2: mm-hmm. and even manage their own grid. Um, there are many municipal, like Los Angeles, for example, has its and uh, manages its own grid. Even though that grid is connected into um, the entire gigantic grid, which covers the whole of the West, it's still that particular piece of it. Like where they're buying electricity from, how much they're paying for it, who's maintaining the lines, um, all of that is. Is managed by the municipality, and some municipal grids are very very small. I, I talk about in the book Rancho Cucamonga, which has one streetlight, but they have a municipal power um, municipal power governance, um, and people again are sort of organizing suburbs, etc. As they get frustrated with the the rate of change. Um, yeah. To a more renewable, renewably powered system, they are—they'll—they'll they'll just get towns or suburbs together and they'll—they'll they'll disaggregate. It's called from the big grid and and take over their own little um, piece of it to manage it for themselves. Um, so that's sort of that's a, that happens legally in the states. So it's both big and you know very very small, um, very very local um, and absolutely you know nationally gigantic. And I think that's where you see a lot of the excitement about what's happening right now. Um, I know most people don't really see the grid or think about the grid but it's it's changing radically at this exact moment in time um, and lots of people are are causing that change to happen in different ways
0: well it is a hugely important issue particularly when we have the conversation about uh, when and how will we get off of fossil fuels it's something that that could not be more important again we've been talking about the book the grid the fraying wires between Americans and our energy future. And we've been speaking with the book's author, Gretchen Bakke. Thanks so much for talking to us about this.
2: Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you.
0: The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com. One of our sponsors is Vincero Watches, giving you 15% off. A high quality wristwatch is the perfect way to elevate your style. Own at least one watch that makes you feel great when you put it on. You can often see me wearing my Ventura watch on the show. Mine is the gunmetal vessel model. I'm a big fan of the metallic look of the face of the watch. I like the silicone strap. You won't find a better made watch for this good a price anywhere else. When you put it on, you know you got more than you paid for. Vincero believes in crafting super quality watches from high end materials, but selling them at fair prices, which is why they have over 26,000 five star reviews, and they stand behind every watch they make with a one year return policy and five year warranty. They'll give you 15% off everything in their store and free shipping when you go to slash watch and use coupon code PACMAN. You can find the URL in the podcast notes. Just make sure to use promo code Pacman. One of our sponsors is privacy, a free service that protects your credit and debit card. I use privacy every time I buy something online. I installed the app on my phone and the privacy desktop browser extension. Now when I pay for anything, privacy autofills a virtual credit card number. The money's taken out of my bank account. I don't have to give out my real card number or banking info to anyone. You can create and delete the virtual cards anytime. I especially love it for free trials because I can destroy the virtual card number as soon as I give it to the company. And I know I won't be charged in the future. Privacy also has a feature called shared cards which makes it easy to split payments with friends, parents can manage a virtual card for their kid with spending limits, businesses can manage virtual cards for employees to use for company expenses. There are premium plans available, but Privacy's regular service is totally free to use and right now they'll give you $5 just for signing up. When you go to privacy.com/pacman, you can find the link in the podcast notes. the david Pakman show at davidpackman.com radical right-wing radio host rush limbaugh in many ways the father of modern right-wing political media in in uh, we could say that actually in a number of different ways has uh, died at the age of 70 from lung cancer which we learned about a year ago that he had You may recall that shortly after his diagnosis, uh, Donald Trump awarded him the Presidential Medal of Freedom during the State of the Union address in the year 2020. Um, He has died and this has brought out it's really brought out the worst of many people, but also understandable ire and in a sense, relief that Rush Limbaugh will no longer be on the American airwaves. And I've received so many emails about this. Some people gleeful at the death of Rush Limbaugh, others more circumspect. And I want to be sort of super clear. I don't believe in participating in cheering people's illness or death, nor do I ever wish illness or death upon anyone. And at the same time as adults, most of us, we can recognize that some people have a positive influence in the world. And some people have a negative influence in the world. And Rush Limbaugh's influence on the world was disgustingly and decidedly and unquestionably negative and disastrously. So Uh, Rush Limbaugh used to do a segment where he would celebrate when people with AIDS died, as written by Mary Strom Larson, quote, he garnered a following with outrageous programming that includes such features as celebratory moments when another AIDS victim died, which he called AIDS updates. That is disgusting. It knows no bounds. That is that is the lower than anything. He regularly uh, referred to women who I guess believe in women's rights as feminazis. He regularly um, took pleasure in the death of people on the left. Here he is. Rush Limbaugh gleeful at the death of former Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, just ecstatic at the possibility that it presents for uh, the right to further take over the Supreme Court.
1: Washington Post has a story today. Democrats largely powerless to stop the GOP from confirming their court choice. Folks, do you know how big this is? This is huge. This could be, I want to whisper this, the end of Roe versus Wade. but, But this is going to have a massive impact on the American judiciary. It's thus going to have a massive impact. On American culture and society.
0: So this is absolutely and endlessly disgusting. So listen, I've been seeing the posts, I've been getting the messages, I've been seeing the tweets of people, essentially doing a dance on Rush Limbaugh's grave. That that's not in my constitution to do. That just doesn't feel right, and so I don't do it. Uh, when Rush Limbaugh was diagnosed with lung cancer, I didn't cheer. Uh, Rush Limbaugh has a family. I don't know if he has kids. I guess maybe he does. I mean, listen, he he, he's a terrible he was a terrible person, uh, but illness and death affect people. And I I would never wish that on anyone. But there is no doubt that we can recognize this person was an absolutely terrible influence on American politics. He was uh, responsible for much of the um, not just, you know, coarsening of language is sort of like, okay coarsening of language. but the normalization of a certain type of gutter sniping politics uh, during his early days on radio. And uh, the world was uh, what what was negatively affected by his presence on the airwaves. So Rush Limbaugh dead at 70. Uh, and those are my thoughts. And quite frankly, I don't I don't feel the need to say too much more about it. But I do want to talk a little bit Uh, about Donald Trump's bizarre, rambling, self-centered eulogy for Rush on Fox News. So yesterday, after we learned uh, about the death of Rush Limbaugh, radical right wing radio host who celebrated the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, would celebrate the deaths of AIDS victims that Rush Limbaugh died yesterday at age 70 of lung cancer. Donald Trump appeared on Fox News during the day in advance of his nighttime interviews on OAN Newsmax and Fox News. Trump called into Fox News during the day sort of to eulogize Rush Limbaugh. But it was a very strange appearance and uh, it was self centered and it was rambling and it was everything that at this point we would expect from Donald Trump. So let's jump right into it.
2: He is succumbed to tears. And I was curious, what did he know was coming? I did
1: tell him beforehand because we didn't have the uh, really the the power of not doing it. You know, Rush was very sick at the time. He was at a hospital in Boston and I didn't want to do the surprise thing. Uh, I wish uh, I wish I could have done that. But we really didn't have that uh, that that uh, power of doing it because he had it was a very difficult thing for him to come into Washington from where he was and he did it mm. and there was questions as to whether or not he was just a very brave guy He was amazing and he came in and it was as he told me it was the greatest honor of his life and everybody in the room uh, you know you're talking about the republicans and the democrats you had half of that room went crazy you remember the evening well i'm sure it was a very unique moment yeah in our country's history in a sense because of who russia is but half went just absolutely crazy the other half that totally dead silent. But 100 percent of that room respected Rush.
0: So complete delusions of grandeur. Of course, it was a great moment in our country's history when a radical right wing radio host got a medal from Donald Trump, basically just a reward for sucking up to Donald Trump. If that's a notable moment in American history, when Rush Limbaugh degraded the meaning of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Well, really, it was Trump who degraded the meaning of it and the value by awarding it to Rush Limbaugh. If that is a notable moment in American history, it says something very sad about the country. Now, I don't believe that. Obviously, there are many notable moments in American history. Trump handing the Medal of Freedom to a right wing radio host because the radio host supported Trump, not exactly ranking high. in uh, in in moments of American history. And of course, that's why Donald Trump likes Rush Limbaugh, because Rush supported Donald Trump. And it's not true. Uh, We heard in Trump in Trump's Hannity interview, which we'll look at tomorrow. Trump repeated the same line, this line of Democrats respected Rush Limbaugh. No, they didn't. Rush Limbaugh did disgusting and depraved things on air. He attacked women. He attacked gays. He attacked, you know, just people on the left in general. He gleefully he was gleeful when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. He would celebrate the deaths of AIDS patients during the 90s. What the Democrats didn't respect Rush Limbaugh. What on earth is Trump talking about? But let's continue.
1: It was a unique guy and he was a a, he became a friend of mine. You know, I didn't know Rush at all. I had essentially never met Rush. And then when we came down the escalator, he liked my rather controversial speech. I made that speech that was a little bit on the controversial side and he loved it. And he was without ever having met him or talked to him or, you know, had lunch with him or asked him. He was with me right from the beginning. And he liked what I said and he agreed with what I said. And he was just a great gentleman. Great, great man.
0: And of course, that's what this is all about. Rush was with Trump. To Trump, that's all that matters. Trump doesn't so much. Trump often talks about my friends. He doesn't really have friends. He has yes men and sycophants who he allows to remain around him for as long as they remain yes men and sycophants. That's what Donald Trump has. And that's how Donald Trump's relationships work. That's how he evaluates other people. Trump then uses Rush Limbaugh's death to repeat the long debunked lies about the election that Trump actually won and that rush believed it. Harris, what did Rush Limbaugh tell you after the election of November 3rd? What were those conversations like?
1: Well, Rush thought we won and so do I, by the way. I I think we won substantially Uh, and uh, Rush thought we won and uh, he thought it was over at 10 o'clock, 1030. It was over. And a lot of other people feel that way, too. But Rush felt that way strongly. And uh, many people do. Many professionals do. And uh, I don't think that could have happened to a Democrat. You would have had uh, you would have had riots going all over the place if that happened to a Democrat. We don't have the same support in the at certain levels of the Republican system. But we have great people as Republicans.
0: Of course, that was Russia's big thing, calling Trump up and saying, sir they stole it from you. Joe Biden didn't really win. And Trump going directly into his election fraud talking points there, repeating all the same stuff. What a great coincidence, right, that Rush Limbaugh thought the exact same thing. So there is Donald Trump's initial sort of bizarre eulogy of Rush Limbaugh. He supported me and he agreed the election was stolen. So he was great. Well said, sir. Really nicely done. And tomorrow we're going to look at uh, Donald Trump's interview with Sean Hannity, where he actually it's not like urgent. So I don't feel the need to get to it today. We don't have time. But tomorrow I do want to look into it because there's some interesting stuff about 2024. Um, oh, some interesting anecdotes. So tomorrow night we will look or tomorrow uh, on tomorrow's podcast. Rather, we will look at last night's interview that Donald Trump did with Sean Hannity. Uh, in the meantime. We'll have to leave it there for today, much to the dismay, but also pleasure of different people in our audience. We have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two. David P. Here's a very interesting voicemail. I realized from looking at the email and looking at comments about our vaccine related stories that this is actually a confusion that a lot of folks have. So listen to this. Then I'll address it.
1: David Pacman, big fan. Thank you Hey, there. I have a question about the daily vaccine count. Yes. You may have addressed this, but I, I can't quite find an answer. When we say 2.2 or 2.3 million people vaccinated in one day, does that mean 2.2 million shots given that day? Does that mean 2.2 million people got their second dose and now are fully vaccinated? So I, I'm wondering if that how that count is done um, again, silly question. If you could just either answer it on the show, you don't know, the message, but it was yeah, no,
0: the message is a good one. This is this is a great question. We are talking about doses. OK, so when we say two point two million doses were given out, that's a combination of first and second shots. And take the Pfizer vaccine, for example, which you have 21 days between shots if today or let, let me I'll go backwards. Imagine that 21 days ago we gave out 800000 Pfizer shots And then today we give out one point five million Pfizer shots. What that means is that today of the one point five million Pfizer shots, eight hundred thousand, if everything works right, eight hundred thousand were second doses for people who got their first dose 21 days ago. And then seven hundred thousand would be first doses for people who will get their second dose 21 days from now. Right now, the approved vaccines in the United States are two dose vaccines. So when we say two million shots. We are talking about two million total, but that's only half of the vaccination protocol for uh, uh, each individual person. They need a second shot soon. It looks like the Johnson and Johnson vaccine is going to be approved. That's a one shot vaccine. So in the future, when we say, oh, uh, we, we did three million vaccines today, which would be a great number, that might be a number of first and second doses of the Pfizer vaccine a number of first and or second doses of the Moderna vaccine and then a bunch of Johnson and Johnson doses, which are the one sole dose since it will be a one dose. So we are talking about doses, not people totally vaccinated. The New York Times is a good vaccine tracker, which will tell you total number of doses, number of people who have received one dose or more and number of people who have received full uh, two two dose regimens. And uh, these numbers are all going to be going up soon and we are going to be tracking it. We have a great bonus show for you today. We are going to talk about Joe Biden's apparent snub of the Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. I find it very interesting and I kind of like the direction Biden is going, going, not go. He's not goading anybody going on Saudi relations. We will talk about Facebook banning Australian users from sharing or viewing news. Why are they doing this? Very interesting story. And we will also talk about Japan taking action on this issue of social isolation, appointing a minister of loneliness to help people who are home alone. This is not just because of the pandemic. This relates to issues that have been happening culturally in Japan for some time, which we've been talking about all of those stories and more. On today's bonus show, get instant access by becoming a member at JoinPacman.com.